But, um, you know, today is a, another, there's other reasons why today is special. Can anybody have a guess? Australia. Australia, okay, I did not know that. It is Groundhog's Day as well. It is also, um, I thought there were some numbers people in here. Um, this is a, uh, a palindrome day, yes, happy palindrome day. Um, you won't see this one for uh, ever, yeah. There you go. So, zero two zero two two zero two zero. Um, well, happy Sunday, everyone. <laughs> let's let's pray and uh, we'll get back on track. So, dear Lord, I, I thank you for this day. Um, God, we're we're being kind of silly, but there's so many reasons why uh, we can be thankful, why we can uh, just be grateful for being here and um, just being able to gather and, and worship together. Lord, I pray that um, as we get into your word that, that each one of us would hear from you, that you would speak to our hearts and uh, really move, um, move our minds so that they are in line with yours, so that our, our body will follow. And, and um, God, we just praise you for all that you're doing. And uh, we, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week uh, we had a, a great Sunday where we were able to hear from our lead pastor, Toby, about uh, the vision that God has, uh, you know, continued to grow in his heart. It's something that has been in him for a while that God has really placed upon him, and, and we continue to, to uh, walk with him in, in that calling as a church and, and move towards uh, being a real community that um, overflows with the love of God. And, um, you know, today we're going to, come back to our series that we've been in for um, some time now. It's been uh, maybe a year already, yeah. Uh, so we have been uh, going through the, the book of Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke, and, uh, you know, this, this book is actually a letter. It was a letter that Dr. Luke wrote to his friend Theophilus, and um, he has compiled all these testimonies, his firsthand accounts about the life of Jesus, and put them into this, uh, you know, amazing, amazing uh, letter that, that we call uh, the book of Luke. And uh, today we are starting off the 21st chapter. Uh, there's only 24, so we're getting close to the end. And uh, right now, you know, we're in a place of Jesus' life and ministry where he is headed towards the cross. He has clearly talked about, you know, who he is, that he is the one they've been waiting for. He's kind of alluded to these things, and he, he's clearly kind of made some claims that people can can really draw to these conclusions that, okay, he's, he's the son of God. He's the son of David. He is the Messiah we've been waiting for. Um, you know, that's what he's claiming, right? And, and so we see that the opposition, the religious leaders at the time, uh, you know, Jesus has strongly called them out and, and opposed them for some of the wrongful things that they've been doing, these uh, practices that they've been, in, been engaging in, and really they have been so self-centered, yet outwardly giving the appearance that, no, they're fully devoted to God. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that Jesus has really called them out on. And so you can imagine that they are not happy with that, and they're doing everything they can to bring a case against him, to arrest him, and ultimately uh, get rid of him, kill him. In a couple chapters uh, prior, we, we saw that he kind of cleared out some of these 
practices in the temple. And, uh, you know, he was just outraged about the, the ways that they were getting taken advantage of the people in the temple and, and through kind of religion, they were getting rich. And, and uh, so he really, he was overturning tables and, and just, um, yeah, just really setting them straight. And so you can imagine, you know, all this stuff, they are not happy. And yet all of their attempts to try to kind of get him, um, you know, to trap himself in, in saying something wrong or, or doing something that they can bring a case against, they've been unsuccessful. And, and now in verse 21, uh, we come to this, uh, this place where, where, like many times, Jesus is in the temple and he is teaching. Now the temple, the temple was this central place. It is uh, really an amazing site. And at the time, the, what we're going to be talking about is the second temple. Now the first temple was one that, that King David uh, built. Uh, I mean, King David wanted to build for the Lord, but God said, no, you can't do that, but your son will do that. Uh, so Solomon was the one that was able to build it. But in part of that, you know, one of the things that David did get to do was he got to buy the land. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a first picture. There's a, this is modern day, and uh, that is not the temple, um, but that is the location where the temple was. Um, and, but you can see this kind of outline. It was a, a large piece of property. Okay, so you, you kind of have that, that image that there's this large piece of property and, um, well, let's, let's read in 2 Samuel 24. Um, I just want you to, to catch this because David, you know, this is kind of a pattern that David had messed up and, and they were being punished for his kind of mess up. And so David finds out, okay, I need to make this right. And in verse 21, it says, you know, David is going to, to Arauna. I'm sorry, I'm probably doing that wrong, but... Um, Aruna says, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offers, offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. So I just want to ca- you to catch that, that as we're getting into the temple, and there's just some of the history, that even with the land, you know, as, as King David, he, he goes to purchase this land, and the man he tries to buy it from says, oh, wait, David, you want this land? It's yours. You know, just take it. You're going to do what? You're going to build, you know, an altar so that you can give offering to God? You know what? Here, I'll give you the offering too. And David says, no, I can't do that. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now, this is uh, 
uh, you, you saw that, that picture that we showed, um, the first one. And then this, this next one, you can imagine where the Dome of the Rock is. This was the, the first temple. This is the, the one that David's son built. Um, this is a, a depiction of that. And that was, a, you know, an amazing, amazing place. And yet the pattern that we mentioned, the people turn away from God and destruction comes upon them. And that temple was, was completely destroyed. So that temple's destroyed, and, and again, the people realize, okay, we messed up. We need to come back to God, and they do. Um, this is uh, with people like um, Nehemiah and King Herod really pours into it. And, uh, you know, I'll mention Herod because he is a king kind of called a, a puppet king, or he's, he's kind of this placeholder. And he practices, he, he considers himself Jewish, Yet none of the Jewish leaders recognized him because this was uh, an evil guy. I mean, he was very self-centered. He, uh, you know, was uh, just worried about, you know, people coming against him. He even would kill his own family members if he thought they were, uh, you know, not on his, his side. So, uh, you know, you can understand how, how the leaders were like, no, we don't want to associate with this guy. Uh, but one of the things that Herod did like to do was uh, he liked his building projects and uh, he liked to build things up, and, and part of that was because it was kind of bringing this glory to him, you know, and saying, hey, look at what I did. You know, I'm doing this for God, but look at what I did, right? And so um, the next picture of the, uh, the other temple picture here, um, you can see this is kind of a depiction of what Herod's temple looked like. And... Um, you can see that on the outside, there's, there's all this space where, you know, anybody is able to come, that non-Jewish people were able to gather and, and kind of come around. And, and the estimate is that, you know, it probably held, you know, 400,000 people or so. And sometimes they would do these festivals and they would fill that pretty much. Um, now, in this front portion here, you see there's, uh, there's this uh, another kind of courtyard area. And then there's kind of these steps that come up there, right? Uh, that courtyard there, that first one, you know, that was someplace where men and women could gather. Um, they would be able to kind of talk to each other, and, and uh, the women would be able to worship. And then those steps led up to another courtyard where only the Jewish men were allowed to be. And then you see the, the actual temple, the building, uh, then that's the place where you had the place where the priests would go and the, the Holy of Holies and, and all that. Um, so our, our passage today, uh, many scholars believe that, that what would have happened is, is that Jesus would be on these steps and he would be speaking, you know, he'd be up above and he'd be speaking to all the people gathered in that courtyard below where men and women were able to, to kind of congregate. Um, and I'll mention that um, in that area, um, there was uh, something like 13 different kind of offering places where they would be able to, to, you know, give their gifts and offerings. And we have a picture of, of a possibility of what that might look like. Kind of looks like there's a, it's like the shofar, and then they're not sure it was it, you know, up or down. You know, which which way was it faced? But it would be that kind of a thing, almost like a bowl that would drop in there. Um, we have a, a video, a short video clip, because this is what what I imagined uh, may have gone on, uh, so we can roll that.
you know, so, so that, that's, that's what kind of came into my mind. That's a, a, a real short clip from um, the, mo I think, the most recent Robin Hood. Um, and, you know, I just thought, like, well, they had these kind of bowls, and, and they, their, their money was coins, right? So they'd be dropping it in, and, and, I, and, you know, that's some of the accusations. That some people would be like, hey, look at what I'm dropping in. You know, listen to the sound of that. Um, but that, that kind of gives us uh, this, this foundation or this, um, this backdrop to, to where we're at today in, in chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can Luke 21, or you can look on the screen with us. Let's pick up at verse 1. It says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And so Jesus gives this example. He, he brings notice to this, this poor widow who is putting in, you know, these small coins. Uh, maybe uh, it's like... a you know, a fraction, maybe 260, uh, okay, anyways, it's a small fraction of a day's wage. Uh, it's not even a day's wage. Um, you know, it's, you can think of it like a couple pennies, right? Um, she's just putting this in, and there's other people that are maybe pouring out, you know, all their things, and, and Jesus is saying, she's the one that's giving the most, you know, because that's all she had. That's all that she had. So some, some people think, you know, hey, she's literally out of desperation giving. That's all she had, and she doesn't know how she's going to survive. She doesn't know how she's going to make it to the next day because this is everything she has, um, complete surrender to, to God. Others have used it to, to point out, well, that also points to the corruption of, of the leaders at that time because they're called to do what? To take care of the widows. And so this woman shouldn't have been in that place where, hey, this is all she's got left. Um, anyhow, Jesus is teaching, and he points that out to them. From that lesson there, he, he moves on. And this is kind of the, 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 the whole segment, and, and we won't read all of it, but we'll read most of this chapter, uh, because really what Jesus is saying is that, is that, you know what? He starts off and he says, look at this woman. What is it costing her in her worship, in her following, in her faith? She's given everything, right? These other people, they give a lot, but it doesn't cost them anything. So the reality is, to them, it doesn't really matter, right? They're not risking anything. It's safety. And I think because of that, that's one of the reasons why in the rest of this chapter, as, as he kind of expounds upon this idea that this pattern that we've been following, that, hey, if you turn away from God, if the people reject God and they turn away from God, then destruction is going to come upon them, right? And I think for ourselves and for them, you know, one of the easiest ways to turn away from God is to not have that connection where we're saying, God, I need you. Right? That woman gave everything and she said, God, I need you. I, I really need you. Right? 
The rest of them said, ah, you know, I don't need you, God, but I'm going to go through the motions or I'm going to give to you because I'm supposed to or I'm going to do it. Maybe like Herod saying, hey, I'm going to do this and people are going to look at me and say, wow, what a great thing that you did or you're doing the right thing or you're being who you're supposed to be, aren't you? Some of the disciples were remarking, remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. They're, they're saying, man, as we're in this place listening to Jesus speak, and they're commenting, wow, this is so amazing, isn't it? And that, that picture of the temple again, you, you notice that there's like gold on the roof. I mean, it's beautifully adorned, truly magnificent, white marble. You can just imagine. Historians at the time, you know, they, they just were amazed at how gorgeous this place was, right? And these huge stones. Some of these foundation stones, you know, I read were, you know, over 100 tons each stone. One, I think the biggest one they, they thought was like 400 tons. Okay, so just mind-baffling. And as they're saying these things, Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. It's all going to be destroyed. Right? Like I mentioned, with this pattern, um, you know, Jesus, he, he is proclaiming that, that, hey, this is coming. And actually, as we mentioned, that this is a letter that Luke wrote to Theophilus. You know, this was some time later. And so Theophilus, as he's reading this, he knows about the destruction of the temple. He knows about the people turning away, about the Romans, you know, just, you know, chasing them out and, and about the temple being set on fire. And that in that fire from the inside, as the temple is, is just in flames, it's so hot that the gold on the roof is melting and it's dropping into these crevices, it's dropping into the ground. And so you can imagine when it all settles, the Romans left literally no stone unturned as they broke it up and, and did what they could to, to retrieve all that melted gold. And for Theophilus, he would have read you know, that and, and he would have seen that, that what this is pointing to is that, hey, these words of Jesus, as he prophesied this was going to happen, hey, it did happen. And really kind of that affirmation of him being from God. Verse 7, teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Great question, right? And he replies, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he. How many? Many. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. You know, I think even though he mentions that the end will not come right away, they are sure that it's coming like right away, right? And they're kind of get into this panic mode. Um, but, um, but anyways, um, verse 10, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will seize you and persecute you 
They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind. Do not make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. You know, the, the disciples, they ask uh, a very reasonable question. I, I think it's very reasonable that, you know, they're asking, hey, when is this going to happen, Jesus? You know, this magnificent temple, that as we're standing here in this courtyard, amazed by this beauty, and you're telling us, hey, it's all going to be destroyed? When is that going to happen? Right? And he tells them, you know what? You're not going to know when. You're not going to know when. It's not going to happen for some time, but you don't, you're not going to know when. You know, and, and he tells them that, and you know what, there's going to be people that come and say that they know when, and that they say that they am I. And it gets really confusing, right? Because Jesus, as sometimes he does, he talks about two different kind of time periods. Right? He talks about, like the disciples thought, what is coming soon or at least in their lifetime in their generation or the generation you know that is coming right after um, and then he talks about the things that we're still waiting on that we're still looking forward to saying hey he was right about those things but there's all these other things that we're still waiting on and the final part it says verse 20 when you see jerusalem being surrounded by armies you will know that its desolation is near then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city for this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then, it, you know, it continues on and on. Just more of these things, many of, of which, um, you know, scholars argue about. Have it happened already? Has it not happened yet? Um, well, like I said, we are clear in, in knowing that, hey, yeah, some of these things have definitely happened and some of these things have yet to pass. But the main thing is that Jesus warning them, all these, you know, horrible things are going to come upon you. Why? Because you turn away from God. When? You're not going to know until it comes. But when it comes, I think you're going to know. And verse 34 is, you know, is one of the, I, I think the key, um, for me, the key, the key kind of segments of this reading that we're in today where it says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. And I think it sounds like this time now. It sounds like a lot of people that we know. That sounds like a lot of people, maybe even here, that, that it's easy for us to get weighed down 
that you turn to things that you think are going to, you know, lift you up. That people, at least it feels like more and more from as I talk to people that anxiety is so prevalent. That people are so worried, so worried and, 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 and just shut down about sometimes even normal things in life, right? And Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. All these things are going to come, right? Be careful or your hearts are going to be weighed down. And he tells that, hey, this is going to come when, when that time comes, it's going to come for everyone, right? But for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Verse 37 says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on a hill called the Mount of Olives, and the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. But there's this, there's this, this idea that, that is drawn out from that that I feel has, at least in my life, uh, you know, the, the common example is like when you're, you're looking to buy a car, um, you know, and you have that make or model of car, that color of car, you know, that, that's in your mind. Um, for us, the last car we bought was uh, my wife's car, a white Prius. And as we were thinking about hybrids and Priuses and everywhere we looked, well, I mean, there are a lot on the street, but everywhere we looked, you know, we would see those, right? It would just stand out to us, right? And to me, for some reason, you know, this, this whole year or you know, end of 2019, beginning of 2020 has just been surrounded by so many people that I know either really well, family members or people kind of afar that I've admired or have impacted me that have just been passing away. And I've been thinking, God, what is going on with this season? It's like, it just feels like it's never ending. I mean, there's weeks where every week we were, you know, at a funeral service or, or doing something. And, and last Sunday, for those of you that were with us, or, or if not, I'm, I'm sure, you know, everyone heard, uh, you know, in service, we talked about, wow, you know what? Just reading, hearing that, that Kobe Bryant and, and a total of nine people, you know, died tragically in a helicopter crash. And just how shocking that was, right? I felt shocked. You know, I felt robbed, like, like they had so much more life left, right? But then they didn't. You know, and truly none of us knows, you know, how much more time we have on this earth. None of us knows. And even though I'm reminded of that, you know, I woke up this morning and, and it's just the thought again of, well, what, you know, what's going on today? What's going on tomorrow? What's going on next month? That there's just this assumption that we're owed this time here, right? Be ready. He says to, to be ready. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to face God? Are you ready to face the Son of Man, to look upon your life and, and and to say, hey, Lord, you know, this is what I did with my life. Um, you know, for me, I can honestly say that, that I don't feel ready, that I feel like, man, I got so much more that, that I want to do or that I want to, to get right in my own heart that, I, that is just taking me time, God. And you find yourself in this place where, you, where, you know, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, you know what, God, 
honestly, I'm thankful you haven't come because I do. It's like I need things in my own life. I just want to get right, you know. But more than that, we know. We know that this is God's grace, that the time that we have, that, that we're able to see more and more people come to the Lord, that we're able to see more and more people discover who God is and have their eternity secured. And this week, as I was reading through this passage, you know, those are the things that, that really hit me. Those are the things that, that, that really hit me was that, you know what, our life, we don't know. We really don't know. Whether we consider ourselves young, that you're, you know, you're thinking about going to the young college young adult uh, life together group, or uh, there's no way you could even fake it, and you consider yourself older or old, and, and, you know, whether you're looking at life saying, hey, I don't have much time here, or I've got all my life ahead of me. The truth is that none of us knows, right? And in light of that, I, I ask the question to myself, and I, and I throw it back to you, of what does it cost you to follow Jesus? The example we saw was in the offering, but what does it cost you to follow him? Because Jesus is clear in this passage. as He's telling these disciples, he's, he's telling these people that, man, there's going to be some hard times. It's going to be bad. For you to stand and proclaim my name, to say you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, it's going to be bad times for you. There's going to be a time when you are opposed, when you are hated by people, when even your own family member is going to sell you out, right? And we see that in, in some countries where family members give up other family members and they're imprisoned, they're beaten, they're martyred. But he's telling them, you know what? There are these times coming, right? But you don't have to worry. You don't have to be weighed down. Why? Because I got you. Because this life is, is not the end, right? This life is not the end, that you have hope beyond, that this is just a, a small starting point of your eternity. And yet that question comes back of if we say, hey, our life is finite. We don't know how much time we have. God is good all the time, right? All the time, God is good. But how much do we, are, does it cost us to follow him? How much are we risking? Are we like that widow that is saying, God, take all of me because without you, I have no tomorrow. Or are we saying, God, I know I'm supposed to give you part of me, whether it's my money, my time, my, my thought life, my, my actions, the way, you know, who I am. I know I'm supposed to give you that, but I can't risk it. So I'll just give you a little bit. I'll, I'll just give you a portion. You know what? It's a good portion. When people look at my life, they're going to say, that's a good Christian guy right there. That's a great Christian girl right there. But the reality is it doesn't cost much because it's out of the excess. So my prayer for us is that we would 
be people that have hearts like David, that have hearts like that widow. That when we say, no, when it comes to God, it's got to cost something, right? Because that's my offering to him. That's my allegiance to him. That's who I am. I'm someone that I'm giving myself to the Lord, right? That David said, Man, that's great. You, you know, you're willing to give me all these things, but I have to pay for it because I can't give an offering to my Lord that didn't cost me anything. So your weekly challenge, read Luke 21. We read most of it today, but there, there was some parts of it. But, you know, read it for yourself. Ask God to speak to you through this word. You know, Look at each section. Think about the things, you know, don't get too stuck. But, but some of these things, you know, they have happened already. And some of these things, we are waiting for it to happen. But he gives them, you know, hey, all this stuff is coming down the pipeline. Just, you know, it's on the way. And as you think about what they're going through, and as Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to cost you to follow me. How do you feel about that? Where are you at with that? Grow. Write down the things that stand out to you from this passage. I mean, actually write it down, right? <laughs> write down how you see those things or, the, or see this connecting to your life. You know, we're, we're all, I think, able to draw out from the passage, hey, these are some things that highlighted in my mind. Well, how does that relate to me? Does it? Where does that relate to you? And then overflow. Finally, it says... Take time to honestly ask yourself how much risk you are taking to follow Jesus. What does it cost you? Think about a way you can grow in your trust. Make a decision to take action this week. And just to help you with that, you know, so, some, some things, it, it might be, you know, what is the, the amount of, of money that you're trusting God with? What is even, you know, maybe you're a student and, the teacher, you know, likes to make fun of Christians or your friends like to make fun of Christians and you're like, I'm just going to be quiet. You know, every time they mention it, I don't say nothing. You know, maybe it's that risk of saying, you know what, this is who I am. And what you're risking, you know, is, is your reputation. What you're risking is what other people think of you. Maybe it's in the decisions you have that are coming up in your life that you need to make some decisions. Do I take this job? Do I take that job? Do I move to this place? Do I move to that place? Do I, you know, go after this person or that person, you know, in, in dating? I mean, that's a risk, right? I remember being young and, and, and there's some girl you like and you want to ask her to the school dance or something. That's a risk, <laughs> right? And you got to weigh that and say, is that, a, is that worth is that worth the potential that I could face, right? Anyways. <laughs> I don't know what's being shown up there. Let's pray. And then we'll continue on into the uh, time of communion. Lord God, we thank you because it's, uh, it's through your grace and through your mercy that, that we have breath in our lungs. That we call you Father. Daddy, even. That like Jesus said, Abba, that we can say, Daddy, God, lift our hands up to you. That you reach out yours and you pick us up. You call us child, son, 
daughter. You tell us how proud you are, how much you love us, that there's nothing that we could do that would make you love us more or less. And Lord, as you're calling us to grow in our trust, in our faith, in our obedience to you, Lord, help us to to be moved not by conviction of, of duty, but be moved by your love. By how you loved us. You held back nothing. You gave it all that we would know you. That we can't help but respond to say, yes, Lord, I trust you with it all. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my reputation, my career, my relationships, my eternity. We come before you, Lord. We ask you would fill us up that we might overflow. In your name, amen. Um, we're going to, uh, by the way, my name's Toby. Um, I, I get to be the lead pastor, serve here as a lead pastor. And now I get to lead this time in uh, the communion, which we do monthly. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful time together. Um, and uh, I, I invite you to uh, just uh, to this time of our worship in God. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about what Jesus said today. He said that, you know, the things of this world will fade away. Right? I mean, it's so easy. It's just things will just keep come and go. But where do we put our trust? It says to trust in the name, the, the word of God, that no matter the heaven and the earth will fade away, but my word will not fade away. And that is exactly what we're going to go to receive because it is the word of God that became flesh, dwelt among us, and now it is available for us to internalize. We receive the body of Christ, and the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness of our sin. And we internalize all this, this word of God into us so that we may overflow, so that we may live this world in this world without fear, without worry. Because let's be honest, we get filled with worries. We get filled with fears because we got death coming up. Ultimately, it leads to that. But Jesus destroyed that. Jesus took care of that now and forever. So when we internalize that, we don't have to live with that fear. Amen, church. I want to take you back to that story of that widow who who gave her all. You know, in the one hand, she had this this copper coin. And in the other hand, he had the same thing. And it could have easily been, okay, I give you yours, God, because that's all she had. I give you yours, God. I'm going to keep this to myself. She could have easily done that. Nobody would have said, you are a greedy person. No. God would have said, you're the great. If, he, if she just gave one, right? That's all she had. But what did she do? She chose to overflow with the things that she could have just received. She could have, she said, I'm going to trust everything in your hands because it's better that way. I invite you to do the same right now. Trust everything in his hands. Not just the things that you God deserves, but things that it's it's your will rightfully have, but you're just gonna trust in Him. So as you receive the communion elements, obviously you use two hands, right? Because you got to receive the cup, you got to receive the bread. I want you to imagine the two copper coins, both in your hands and your fingers. Think about what does that represent. 
you know, something that you aren't usually give to God, but it's something that you usually just try to keep to yourself. Whatever that may be, I want to imagine you just dropping that on the ground, just like, no, she didn't put it on the ground, but, you know, she, she released it. I want you to receive the elements as you release and put all your trust in Jesus. Can we do that, church? So I want us to pray, and then um, I want to invite you to come up. So here, there's a station here, there's a station here. And as you come up, think about the two copper coins that represents everything of you. And then I want you to receive, but when you do, don't hold on to it. We can't receive if you hold on to it. You need the eye of a spiritual eye, but just taking that and trusting that, releasing that to receive his eternal life, his promise, because that would be a testament. Is he enough? If Jesus enough for you. So let's take a moment to pray and I'll invite you up in a moment.